Welcome to another episode of the weekly webinar series brought to you by the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, where our mission is to connect, educate, and elevate the performance and knowledge base for experts who work in the most expansive industry in North America. All right, hello and welcome to our DPHA Wednesday webinar, uh, the DPHA and the internet part two. Um, today we have a wonderful panel of internet connoisseurs, DPH connoisseurs with us. Uh, first we have Noah Taft, Senior VP Marketing and Sales for California Faucets. Hi Noah. Good morning everybody. We have Dan Chinnitz, owner of Creative Bath Sales out of Arizona and both in New York as well, the New York metropolitan area as well. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> we have John Parks, the owner of Parks Decorative Hardware and Plumbing with us. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, early on the East Coast, and I guess morning still, and, and Tony's around over there in the California. <laughs> <laughs> and um, last but certainly not least, we have a new face here with DPHA. We have Adam Waller, president and founder of DDI System. And Adam, could you just, you have a lot of experience in this industry. Can you just give us a little brief snippet of your background for those that don't know you? Well, that's kind of you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to all of you. Um, my family's business when I was uh, younger was uh, Wall Rich. And uh, it was a plumbing parts wholesale distributor. And uh, that's kind of where we started. Um, I was a uh, computer hobbyist in the 80s. And 25 years later, we've got about 1,200 wholesale distributors around, the, uh, around North America using our ERP software. And, and now uh, we've kind of moved into the e-commerce business uh, as well. So we've gained a lot of experience and knowledge uh, about putting up e-commerce systems for distributors and, and now showrooms. And so I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And for those that don't know me, I am Kimberly Glazer. I am the Director of Marketing and Sales for the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association. Uh, now that you know who we are, we're just going to launch a quick poll to find out who you guys are. If you could just take a second to let us know what best describes your industry segment. Okay. Perfect. We'll just give it another 10 seconds or so. Come on, guys. 11 more people. Let's get everybody to answer this. I have never had everybody answer a poll. Today's a good day. Let's do that. A tough question. <laughs> well, usually we only have one other being Rebecca, but we've got two other people that have um, said that they are in the other category. So if you want to use the chat and let us know, that would be great. All right, we're gonna end the poll and just share those results. So it looks like 49% are manufacturers, 22% reps, 18% dealers. So thank you so much. That's um, a higher percentage of dealers than we've had for um, the last couple of webinars. So very excited to have you. We have 4% designers, welcome designers, um, and then 7% other. All right. Close that poll out. Fantastic. 
So we had a very lively discussion last month about how the internet's affecting our industry. Um, and we ran out of time with a lot of unanswered questions and topics. So today we return for the internet part two. Um, I want to start it off with a topic that we just didn't get to touch, and it's really the elephant in the room, and that's Amazon. Um, a little fact that a very wise man gave me was in 2018, Amazon's share of the U.S. e-commerce market hit 49%. That's 5% of all retail spent across the entire country. To put these things in perspective, this is more than Amazon's top three competitors combined, with eBay coming in at 6.6%, Apple at 3.9%, and Walmart at 3.7%. So why is Amazon so dangerous to both showrooms and manufacturers? Noah, can you start us off? Be happy to. Good morning, Kimberly. Um, well, th those of you who know me, I have strong opinions uh, on this. Um, uh, but to me, the, the, the main reason uh, the, the main reason is, is twofold. They, they, they control more than they should to have fair competition. They have a marketplace, which is fine, and they're, uh, they're, they're a toll gate, so you, people pay to be on it, and they run it, and that's great. But they also compete within that market. And that's where, to me, it goes south, and they can control that. So they can make deals, and where whatever manufacturers or third-party sellers want to sell through their platform, um, they can make the best deal they want. They stock themselves, and then they can position themselves when they see what's popular at the top of any uh, general search. And when you have something like, I don't know what the stat is, Kimberly, but nine out of 10 people who are searching on the internet for product go to Amazon first at least to check price, and then you're looking- I mean, I'm guilty. If you have product on there, you're not gonna come up in the search. So it's, it, it, it truly is a rigged game. So that's the main reason. There are other reasons, but I'll let other people on the panel chime in. But to me, that's the one that's the bridge too far and uh, needs to somehow be curtailed. Great. John, would you like to add? Well, I agree pretty much with what he's saying. There's other things from the U.S. Post Office is funding half their shipments and all the things that they're doing that's costing us money on the other side, too. So, you know, Amazon is not very responsive to fixing problems from the manufacturers and all that. So when their products do get put online, they're some of the hardest people to get it fixed. So I do know that a lot of manufacturers have been having those comments coming back to us saying that, you know, it's hard when they're battling Amazon and, and dealing with all the, the legal stuff that they have to go through. And I'm, I've dealt firsthand with products that I've even bought from Amazon, which are not the brand's product that they're just, they're just putting products in their warehouse that are counterfeit and selling them as the real thing. And you can't stop it. They'll say you'll give your money back, but that's the best I can get. You know, I bought some Swarovski crystal from them for Christmas and it wasn't real. And they said, well, we'll refund your money. Well, I want the real thing. You said it was. So, you know, things like that, that Amazon's so big, it's just hard to fight them, you know? So, so Adam, you are in the e-commerce world. You're on your fourth generation of e-commerce sites at DDI. So... 
what is what are your thoughts on Amazon and and our industry and and how we can compete? You know, Amazon has done a, a very good job of making it easy to do business with them, and and they've removed friction. They make the checkout so easy. They make the shipping aspect of it seem so easy. So that that's hard to replicate. You know, it doesn't seem like much when when you're using it, but when you try to replicate it on your own e-commerce site, you realize that there's quite an art to it, and they've done a very good job of it. Uh, and another thing that makes it so challenging for us as um, relatively speaking, small businesses is that they don't really have to make money as Amazon.com. So much of their profit comes from other areas that supplements and subsidizes Amazon um, and, and even services that we ourselves use. You've heard of Amazon Web Services, where they're probably hosting our Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> So that makes, um, I don't know what the multiple of how many times more profit comes from businesses outside of Amazon being an online seller, Amazon being a, a, a host. So they've got a lot of funds that you know we can't access as, as relatively smaller businesses. So we need to take a different approach than copying them and certainly it would be good to not uh, to find other ways than becoming part of their marketplace by the way to, to, if, if i can interject something to adam's point um you know i believe uh, uh, i read that they the power and the size of this company they literally wrote off one billion dollars they took a loss on the shipping to do Amazon Prime, one billion with a B dollars. I heard that too. To make the argument. And so it's really for small businesses, it's a death star. It's an absolute death star. I hope the screen doesn't go all fuzzy now, Kimberly. Because <laughs> Amazon shuts us down. Well, I'm I'm actually gonna um, let Tony chime in if you don't mind. Um, Tony, you can go ahead and unmute yourself because he's sent a he's had a little bit of experience with this and sent us a couple chats. So, Tony, tell us about your experience. I've had Amazon call me and say, "We really want you to become a merchant on Amazon." I thought that was interesting, so I literally engaged this person for almost two hours. He said he had previously worked in the industry. Amazon hired him and his job is basically to get people like us, well, people like us, dealers like me to join. He said, oh, I've seen these faucets on your website and oh my God, they're great. I said, which one? He identified a certain alley. This is like a $23,000 faucet. I said, you realize these things are like $20,000 plus. And he says, you'd be shocked at how many of those you would sell. And I said, you're right, I would. <laughs> so he starts going into this whole thing. Amazon takes 15 points right off the top. Doesn't matter what you're selling. So for the purposes of conversation, I don't know, John, or you know, any of you guys have seen this. I mean, I'm sure you have, Kimberly, where people have gone on and bought Toto and they buy it from Amazon. I don't know who's selling Amazon or if they're buying it direct. I don't know. But I've seen NeoRest go out of Amazon for 40 off. I don't care who you are. 40 and 15, you're losing money. And people do it because you can find NeoRest in particular all day long on Amazon. 
Now they're, you know, nowadays it's better because you know they're holding the map and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, but I just looked at the guy and I said, okay, let me give you a, a for example. He said, okay. I said, let's say I buy a fire clay kitchen sink. So he explains to me how it works. They have an algorithm where they tell you, uh, the algorithm tells them what part of the country to stock the product in because Amazon says that if the order is fulfilled by Amazon, there's an 80 plus higher percentage of the sale being made than if you self-fulfilled. So I said, okay, let me give you an example. I buy a hundred fire clay sinks. Yeah. And you pick them up in your truck and you distribute them around the, uh, the country to your warehouses. And people start buying them, okay? And six of those things show up broken in North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and New Hampshire. Who's responsible for that? He says, oh, you are. Yeah. I said, so let me understand this. You take 15% for nothing. You warehouse it for nothing. Unless it sits there for longer than a certain period of time, then they charge you. I said, but if you break it, it's my responsibility. And he says, yeah. And he says, Amazon's all about customer service. So you have to replace it for nothing. And I said, and people do this? <laughs> people actually like join you, join up and start. It's ridiculous. Any plumbing person who, who would join up with these people, it's a losing proposition. Awesome. I, 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 I looked at the guy and I'm like, there's nobody in their right mind who should be selling through you guys in my industry. <laughs> And he says, oh, yeah, we got plenty of people. Anybody here know David Homami? No. Uh, what does he call himself? Oh, God. Uh, plumbing Overstock is, I think, what he calls himself. Anyway, so it, it, there are people out there that do it. Blows me away. I mean, China. I cannot imagine selling China. Sinks, toilets, yeah. any of that. Can't imagine. The risk is too high. Yeah. What, well, thank you so much for sharing with us, Tony. I missed you, Kimberly. Oh, I missed this you. This is the first time I've talked to you as a married woman. You realize this. <laughs> I'll, call you, I'll call you after the webinar. We'll chat. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> um, so, Dan, I would like to know from a rep standpoint. So, going off of what Tony's talking about, right? They're selling them, you know, maybe one dealer is selling them somewhere all across the country, something breaks. The reps have to be involved in there somewhere. What kind of experiences have you had? Well, that? generally speaking, if somebody purchased a product online, not from one of our uh, brick and mortar showrooms or brick and mortar showrooms that have a responsible website, we don't help them. I get a call once a week from a homeowner that wants help on something. Well, where did you buy it, miss? And, and they won't tell me, so I won't help them. Um, you know, we vigorously want to stand behind our showrooms. Um, to me, this really leads to the obvious question. I don't know if you really want to talk about this, but, you know, why are people selling brands that don't vigorously enforce their map policy and stay off these sites? You know, that, that to me is the obvious answer. Uh, you know, if you, if you are trying to compete with them, you're letting price become the only buying factor and you're not going to be able to, to compete. And quite frankly, I mean, I was in a showroom last year in New York standing behind two homeowners looking at the uh, sales rep behind his desk. And, and while he was talking about a certain brand, I was watching her look at the uh, Amazon website 
uh, and finding out how much that should sell for in, in uh, her opinion. So, you know, it's just, it's nuts, you know. And, and the thing is, if you, as a showroom person, I, I owned the showroom for many years. Um, you, you know, as a showroom person, if, if, if you bring it down to price being the only buying factor, you're not even letting them know what services you're including in the price. So I think that's a really key point. I think the showrooms in our industry do too good a job of hiding uh, the value added services. And they should actually, to me, should have a meeting with your people and you should list out all the great things you do and, and put it on a poster and slap it up on your uh, conference room or by your entrance. And, and you should talk about it and let people know that there's more to buying this faucet, this vanity than just a low price. So I want to build on that and talk about IMAP and is it UMRP? Right. Because last time some people were asking about the difference between that and that was kind of new to me. Um, and then we have also to go along with that. Um, we have a question of what do we do about the Internet company that on Friday night they lower the price below IMAP and then Sunday night press a button to meet map again before the manufacturers open on Monday. There's an Internet dealer in Brooklyn famous for this. I know they are. Um, they so, all do it. <laughs> so what what do we do about that Noah from a manufacturer standpoint I know you're you're much more controlled online um, but do you have any opinions on on what people can do with that uh, yes and no I, I don't know if my answer <laughs> will be as helpful as I'd like it to be um, we battled um, um, with, with Amazon, I know, um, quite a few times, as well as other uh, online dealers. And we've actually closed accounts that are not abiding by our uh, US map policy. If you're gonna go on a site, the internet's here to stay. So from a manufacturer standpoint, um, there's a revenue stream that you can't ignore question is, how do you go about it? And we believe in the independent channel and the brick and mortar showrooms. So, you know, I think the really the solution to all these problems, which I know you're going to get to later, Kimberly, is what's the solution. And I think a lot of that lies in the showroom's hands in terms of the virtual world. For what you're talking about in terms of like the Labor Day sale, the Black Friday sale, that whole thing, um, it's very hard to police. And then by the time you police it, uh, the damage is already done, but it, it, it's really short term. And to me, and to me, that is something that um, you can complain about and try and enforce. But to me, it's the tail of the dog. I think you really got to take destiny in your own hands and figure out what, what's your own e-commerce or internet strategy. Um, and a lot of that is about making uh, what Adam was talking about was making transactions easier. And right now, if you look at the distribution online from most, most all, uh, with few exceptions of DPHA membership, um, it's not easy to transact through their website, even if it's not e-commerce. Um, the, the websites are, are a shadow of what the, the brick and mortar is. So how do you compete? And that to me, the focus, that's where your revenues come. Losing some Labor Day sales, that's not, that's crumbs as I see it. Would anyone like to add to that? That's great information, Noah. I can tell you that we check uh, internet 
sites on weekends, particularly to make sure that anybody that we're responsible for is behaving. Um, and I think that the manufacturers that vigorously enforce their map policies um, will give these people one or two strikes and then get rid of them as customers. Um, so, and I think those are the manufacturers that those of us in the industry should support. So, I, and I'm sorry, this was not on my outline, so I don't know if we're going to have this answer, but can one of you kind of explain the difference between the UMRP and the IMAP and how it relates to those of us on the call? That should be a Noah answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wasn't sure who was going to speak. <laughs> in short, in short, the uh, uh, the UMAP uh, unilateral manufacturer advertising price is is really the the manufacturer saying this is what our product can be advertised for. We can't tell you. I can't tell John what he can sell my product for with a UMAP. I can't, I can't tell him that. Um, and uh, that's, that's price fixing. I'm not allowed to do that. Unilaterally, we set the price and have to enforce it. Um, what John sells offline or on the side is none of my business and he can do what he wants, but he can't advertise. John can't go online if he wants to be a dealer of ours and sell it for more than what our UMAP is. In our case, 25%. Okay, so fine. The, other one, the other one is literally the manufacturer saying, this is the price of the product. There's no haggling. You're not allowed to sell it for anything else. Um, and that, that's what UMRP is. Okay. So there's been a lot, when, when the internet first popped up, and this came up in lots of different things in the past, everybody was afraid of getting caught price fixing. So even the map policies had to be tested in court and they held up very well and all that. But yeah, I believe that there was a, that the Supreme Court did say that I'm, that you can, that IMAP is legal. You can tell people that they cannot sell your product for less. Than that the universal pricing is kind of a whole different avenue. So there's a lot of members of DPHA that do have both. So I'm not going to mention the names so don't. we don't get into that. <laughs> but, but basically, you've got, uh, you know, MAP is just what's advertised, what you what you print out and put on the screen and what people can see by just running around on the computer or in the newspaper or wherever it is. Okay. So the universal, you know, unilateral pricing policies basically are setting the price of what you can sell a given channel or period. So some people go to multiple levels of that where they may do 25 off is the max for the public and make 50 off is the maximum for a dealer that has a showroom or whatever. So they're very restrictive on that. But even if they sell the dealers at 50 off, they still have to abide by the other policy. So you're still responsible for what your customer sells it for if you're selling a dealer. So that takes it a step further. And when you get a product being sold below the 30 off or 25 off or whatever it is, then you have the ability to go back and track down who the sales force was and stick a slash on their record or give them the slap first time or whatever the deal is. And that has worked very well for a lot of manufacturers. 
The MAP is hard to police, although it is the easiest thing computerized-wise or whatever the algorithms that are out there and everything to go out and go out after. But when you actually have and you've been hit in the face by somebody selling it below a certain price and you have proof of that, then they should be able to act on that. The only way to do that is to have the unilateral pricing policies so that you can go out after those dealers with an invoice that the other dealer is showing that their customers compared it to or whatever. You don't always get those, but when you do, they need to be followed up on. And so it's important to have both and you can structure them multiple different ways. But policing is not easy for anybody. There's several manufacturers that just don't want to say, I'm going to cut you off because you're doing multi-million dollar business and I've let you get out of control selling it below price. Yeah. And some manufacturers have done that and I give them a lot of credit for it and I'm buying from them because they're trying. But they've also been on the list of some of the worst offenders too. So. Thank you. Adam, I would love to hear your input on this because you guys do e-commerce sites. So from a site builder perspective, how do you handle the UMRP and IMAPs? You know, the, the pricing that, that we're putting up on these sites is coming out of these distributors' ERP systems. And it's not something that, they, that our users just go into their site and and fiddle with the pricing. So uh, at least it's kind of regimented and automated and it's coming out of their backend software applications. Uh, but I think that, that John and, and, and Noah both had a, a good point that it's, it's an age-old problem. It's very difficult to police, but it is kind of worth policing. And you look at some brands that have been effective at it, and they've remained premium price brands and, and not necessarily within the decorative hardware business, but look at even a Sonos speaker. They're, they're very good at policing the pricing for products like that. And it's, it's clear that they must be cutting off dealers who try to go below the uh, published pricing, the retail pricing on it, because you can't find things like that at some lower price. So it's a tough job age-old problem it's not unique to the internet it's just easier to do now and uh there's not really a technology solution for it there you go you build it there's a business opportunity <laughs> <laughs> solve that problem um so i would like to make our... a comment on there if i could yes absolutely so you know we we you know one of the top lock companies in the country has taken a stance that you know, the internet's very important to them and they don't, they're, you know, that's the future is what they, they say. They also say they're policing it. But what's happened is, is that some of the big guys that are on the list are out there, um, give me an example, a home center might sell around 50 off on this company. And if you go online, you can actually buy it below where the distributors are selling it for like below 50 and 20. So, so basically you're in the showroom with a customer and they're looking at this high tech item that costs a lot of money and they're bringing it up on their phone and saying, Hey, what are you talking about this item? Mm. And it's coming out at below my cost. And so what's happened though, is in this area, I'm probably one of the few people that sell that brand 
Um, everybody else has gone to Chinese manufacturers and different places that are being loyal to them for that weird, odd brand. And they're actually dropping the core brands of the country and going to these cheap imports now. And which that even makes it worse in a lot of ways because it just doesn't help the process. But the whole thing is, is that these manufacturers don't realize that if they don't keep their channels clean and keep the discounts you know, balance so that the brick and mortar can do there. The people in these stores, the people in the lumber divisions that are out there selling the lumber, the people in the DPHA showrooms and wherever you are, are the ones that are specking these products to the builders and giving them the packages that they're putting in their homes. So if the manufacturers are dreaming, thinking that the only customers out there are the ones that are, you know, going on Wayfair every day, you know, they're, that's just a problem out there. It's not the core. So if they don't get their channels fixed, they're going to lose a lot of business. It's very much like a whack-the-mole game. Every time one of these manufacturers manages to get a website to behave, somebody else pops up and misbehaves. But I give the manufacturers that try to control this a lot of credit, and I think we should support those manufacturers. Well said. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a comment from one of our reps out in California um, that e-tailers are also adding additional coupons in their cart, even though they're following IMAP, um, which also hurts the brick and mortar and is a lot harder to control, really. That's where unilateral, uh, I can't say that. Unilateral. <laughs> Yeah, the unilateral pricing policies are important because when we find that, and we can actually go and buy something from one of these guys and get an invoice, and we can get a slap on the wrist from the manufacturer if we want to do it. But unless they put those policies out there, you can't stop these people. So it's very important to get that out there. I'm just say it again. <laughs> you, know, you know, John, you know, I'd push back a little bit on what you're saying. In theory, that sounds uh, like a straightforward thing to do. The amount of policing and also the amount, in, you know, my own experience, uh, the amount of behind the scenes um, finagling that goes on when there's a violation, manufacturer doesn't want to upset a large customer. That's violated. Maybe it's a multi-branch, you know, um, a, a large multi-branch company that the the manufacturer is doing business with, and one of their associates is new or a little too ambitious, or wasn't trained properly, and violates the MRP. And now you're putting a jeopardy, a massive customer, to the manufacturer. Um, the, the other side to it is, and it really depends. Um, you know, I know. Uh, I, I saw one of the chat uh, notions in terms of um, man, man, it, when, when, when you have a, a manufacturer, when you have a set price on something, you can't, um, if you were a manufacturer, if you were, say, in appliances, that's more commodity. If you're dealing with, for example, in decorative plumbing, what's to say, for example, we, we have a U.S. map and we people who know us, we strictly enforce it. But if we were to set exact prices and go down that rabbit hole, um, what's to how, how do we know that our customer base, in the case showrooms like yours, are going to reward us um, and 
um, make sure that if say we say it's 25 off, that's the price that your the people that work for you, your sales associates aren't going to go to a competitor of ours that's willing to go to 30% off and move the whole job over to them. Um, over five points. And well, they'd be shooting themselves. They'd be shooting themselves in the foot if they were on, on any kind of structure for gross profit dollars. Yeah, but but Kim, you you have a ton of experience in this industry. In all honesty, what percentage of the membership of our, our beloved organization or the industry of wide um, actually adheres to that in a serious way? I think I think I think some do. And so a lot pay lip service to it. And at the end of the day, look, everybody is just trying to get by and make their revenue. And whether or not it's super profitable, it should be top of line, but it's not. Um, that's what I see. But I, I would love, um, you know, somebody else has something else to add to this, but I, I would love to get to what, what we can do, um, what we can do uh, and what showrooms can do to really battle this in a serious way as opposed to- That was to my next question. So go for it. No, I would love to, you know, so, so I would love to see, to hear what people think the solutions are in terms of to actually, or the brick and mortar showrooms in our industry to actually do battle and obtain a revenue stream from the internet. You know, I have, I have some thoughts on it, but I'd, I'd like to get your gut, you know, everybody's take on it. Well, we're, we're talking about brick and mortar and then internet so you know the brick and mortar needs a certain margin to survive and we need to be working it's just like home centers are making 40 percent you know and and so when we're when we're out there it'd be nice to make 40 percent on some lines the problem is is that i can go down to about anybody and there's people you probably even listen here that i've probably bought from that they'll give me 10 cents you know 10% higher or whatever. And so I've made all this commitment of, you know, the inventory for y'all or whatever that I put in and the displays and everything I'm doing. And then they can go right down the street and buy it from a non-dealer that's buying it from somebody else at a, at a very, very low price. And there's no policing going on any of that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of stuck in, well, if I give 25 off, you know, or, or whatever, that's the, that's what it should be sold for. But then I go down to the dealer down here and he can buy it at 50 and 10 and sell it for 50 off and make his 10 points that some of these plumbing wholesalers are doing. And I'm, I'm make I'm way off, you know, so if I'm selling at 40 off, yeah, I might be able to be competitive with some of these guys, but they're giving them stuff away. And, you know, if they know it's a line that they're stealing from somebody, they're going to do it at low margin. Yeah. And so if we use that word that I can't say over and over again, and we say, well, if you set that price and you keep it below a certain price you can't sell, then we can say, hey, I just had a whole job stolen from a so-and-so, and here's the proof. And somebody can go up there and say, hey, y'all can't do that. Slap on the wrist. Don't do it again. And if it's a distributor has got 10 branches, then he may get a few more warnings or whatever. But, you know, at least Slap on come both after and say no. John, John, let me ask, can I ask you a question? With your, with your showroom, you have beautiful showroom. Your website, does it, does it, um, is it, would you, 
say that it is displayed virtually, um, the manufacturers that you sell, um, is it easy to use and transact if, if a customer, which is where the industry is going, which is what this webinar is about, if someone goes online uh, in your area and goes to your website, is it easy for them if they decide they don't want to physically walk into the showroom, they want to pick up the phone and talk to you and look at your website, are they able to tra transact business with you? We, at this point in time, the showroom was our priority. The, show, the website is being populated with the manufacturers that we can sell. Um, and they will have some links to go to some of those manufacturers and look at their site. But, you know, as far as having an active selling site, something that they're going to get a lot of information from, um, you know, the, the manufacturer's websites, we like to see that being a, the best way for the customer to to look at the products instead of us having to duplicate something that should have been done best from a manufacturer. Um, and then the problems that I do run into in that area is when the manufacturer actually puts internet companies on their main page that you can buy direct from with extra discounts, which to me is just a slap in the face to a brick and mortar showroom when you're actually promoting people to go to a website that sells it uh, online. Why don't you just use a location finder and let them go that way? You know, and then if they have a website and they have a internet thing, they find it that way. So we would, that's, thank you for sharing that, John. We'd love to hear from some of our attendees. So if you wanna put in the chat, chat with us, um, or q and A. I I just saw a question come in, um, that if you'd like to tell us kind of what your thoughts are on the topic, um, we do, we did, Tony did add that, um, that it's tough, that the cost of entry to e-commerce driven to the brick and mortar show um, is high. And um, he also said, why have I been made to invest tens of thousands of dollars in a display um, as a requirement to do business if the case is that going online is really what's happening and what is important. And I'd like to kind of drive that back over to Adam um, with some ideas for how our brick and mortars, our DPHA members can join e-commerce yeah. e or work with e-commerce as opposed to working against it. You know, as you try to find a, a way to take advantage of the internet and and we all know that we can't just hope for it to go away it's not going to go away as as noah said earlier it's not leaving you've, you've got to find a way to make it work for you to some degree and so what we want to teach our users our customers on e-commerce is how to amplify your brick and mortar showrooms through an e-commerce site and uh, I would encourage everyone, I don't want to screen share now, but I would encourage people to go take a look at Restoration Hardware's site. And, and it's, you know, it's a different line of business. It's furniture and it's their own brand, so they have more control. But what they've done there is they personalize. They make it seem like a little bit more of a personal experience where the homepage is about the showroom. It's about the, the vignettes in the showroom but it's also about the people. So you scroll down past the, the top fold, you scroll down a little bit, and then you see their showroom designers. And they talk about their services right away on that homepage. 
and they're really establishing the value of their showroom right on the homepage, as opposed to what a lot of us are used to doing is let me put my most important products right there in front of you on that homepage so you can click and buy them. We're not going to win that battle against a Wayfair and against an Amazon of being just a product-driven seller, but we want to bring you into our showrooms and, and continue that journey. So we talk about the showroom buyer's journey on uh, all the way through your showroom back to e-commerce. And one of the things that we show our customers is one, content. Content's important. And John talked about that, how difficult it is to get that content and to put it on the e-commerce site. You know, the manufacturers have the pages. And I know, you know, it, it seems like double work and it, it may be, but you kind of need it. So with the content, we get that content inside the ERP system as well as on the e-commerce site. Someone comes to your showroom, they work with your designers, they give you a price quote in the showroom, they can go home, log into your e-commerce site, call up that quote that you did with them in the store, add products to it, search around in the store, substitute things. What if we use this sink instead of that sink? And then they can either send it back to you, could you reprice this? Or they can buy it right there online and they can complete the transaction. And it's one of those ways that you're reducing some friction. And, and I quickly, I'll just relate this to some shopping that I recently did. I was looking for uh, blinds. Now that we're all working at home, we need to fix some things at the house. So I was shopping for window blinds. I went to the local distributor for the blinds and we measured, I ordered. Uh, and then this transaction got hung up for almost a week because there was no way for me to give them payment except to get on the phone and read off my credit card number, and which is eventually what we did. But it did delay that by, by days. And that's something that would be helpful to avoid because that's what Amazon makes easy. That's what Wayfair makes easy. Noah, can you, um, you just shared a thought in the chat um, with just us panelists. Um, can you share that with everybody? Um, yeah, what did I write? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, said you, don't have, you said you don't have to have an e-commerce site on steroids, but as a distributor living in the digital age, trying to compete, you should at least have a site that people can easily navigate find yes. product and contact you for help. You don't need a shopping cart. Your right. website should be a virtual showroom, a reflection of your brick and mortar. We all have to invest if we're going to compete. Yeah, that sounds great. No, so um, <laughs> I don't disagree with that either. <laughs> no, so so, so to, to it, this whole conversation to me, the most important part of it is how, how, how do we help how, in terms of selling? If we're, if we're not going to buy into the Amazon and now Target and Walmart, that whole e-commerce only that doesn't have the service and that, all, all the reasons we've been talking about that threat. Um, how, how are we going to compete? You're not going to compete with Amazon, to Adam's point earlier. You're not going to compete uh, by out Google adding them or 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 any kind of that that kind of thing. But you, at a minimum, you have a a showroom 
to me, should no longer be defined as a brick and mortar showroom. In this day and age, you have a showroom that's physical and you have a showroom that's virtual. So you don't need, you don't even need a shopping cart on your, on your website. But what you do need is the manufacturers curated, not, you don't even need every product and any good manufacturer is going to be able to give you the, the uh, spreadsheets that you need and the links that you need to get the product that you know in your market you can sell, put it up there, make it look decent, um, and then allow a wish list or allow someone to call up one of your sales associates that you've assigned that can service properly, which is the showroom's advantage over Amazon and these companies, to be able to handle that and call up and say, give me your credit card number, I'll work it out with you. Let, 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 Make it easy. Why make the transaction hard? Amazon's great at making the transaction easy. And our industry is completely missing the virtual end. Nobody's arguing, I'm not arguing, that, that uh, people need to spend a bloody fortune that you don't have to try and compete with Amazon on their terms. But at least in the virtual world, have a showroom that does it. And to John's point earlier, I just have one, one, one other thought on it. To John's point, um, uh, John's point earlier, I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. And <laughs> we have a whole- but You can call me, Noah. <laughs> we have a whole bunch I of questions I wanna I'd make. I'd love sure. to have an offline conversation with you. <laughs> so um, John Weinstein has a great point in saying that Leading e-tailers spend big money to be positioned in the right place online as much and often more than the overhead of brick and mortar. Um, so they also need margins and manufacturers ultimately need to sell online since the public demands it, whether via the dealer stores or themselves. So I think that that's an interesting another manufacturer's perspective there. Yeah. Um, and then we have a great question for Adam. Um, can Adam comment on how much success has been achieved by brick and mortars with a full product catalog and shopping cart? Do customers really transact on these sites where the brick and mortar website doesn't have the same trust as Amazon or the same inventory or experience as a build.com? A build it's a great question. And, and the, I think the, the reality is, is for most of the businesses that we're servicing, uh, it's relatively new. This is this is new stuff. So, can you can I point to many of our uh, decorative hardware showroom customers who are achieving great success here? I really can't because it's fairly new to most of them. But what I can point to is other industries that are succeeding that might not be brick and mortar decorative hardware showroom businesses, but they they are in different lines of business in various kinds of building materials, plumbing supplies, HVAC, uh, uh, sanitary safety supplies. These distributors that are our customers, are some of them are doing as much as a third of their business online now with their customers. And, and they've made that uh, kind of leap of faith to, to get it started. And so what we've tried to do in the last uh, really two years is go, well, you know, the, the early going of this uh, going online was hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to get going. And, and if we can sort of package this up a little bit, maybe we can really bring that cost of, of doing it down. And we've been working on that. And so our customers have a, a less expensive road or route to take than, than they used to. 
Um, it's still not an easy thing to do. And I could share with you also that um, content the, the, is harder than you think. And the mechanics of the web store are easier than you think. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, we have a really great point on the Q&A here um, saying we are a showroom in an extremely luxury driven market where interior designers and architects drive a majority of sales. If reps and or manufacturers were to offer us weekly or monthly e-marketing materials, one to two pages, um, to pass on to their architects and designers, excuse me, about new products, product perks, et cetera, we'd be able to stay top of mind virtually. So that's really interesting. Um, I know from experience, it's hard to get that information out of our wonderful manufacturers with the weekly connections. Sometimes it's, it's hard to get that member news information. So um, I think that that's a really great tip to the reps and manufacturers that are on the call today. That's where Instagram has done really well for a lot, a lot of the designers and all that are looking at that. And if you if you get a new product in or you put something new in your showroom or you have a new thing that pops out, if you pop it out on Instagram, the designers are all over that and they look at that over their emails even. I, so, love, I, I, I absolutely love this point. And I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I, I would just say from, from, from our company's standpoint, we have assets and, um, and libraries. We'd be happy to get it out to whoever wants. But it also goes to the point is now you're playing in the digital world. So if you follow the thread through this, you know, John, John if you follow the thread, so you, you do what you're talking about, I agree. And then that it, it brings interest to the brand. And if the showroom is mentioned, it brings interest to the showroom, but you're in the digital world. So if you're a designer, maybe the designer looks at that and wants to go down to your showroom. Or maybe the designer doesn't want to be bothered, maybe not during COVID, but even afterwards. Now, now what are they doing? Now, now, now they're going, they want, they, your, your name is in the mix, your showroom's in the mix. They go to your website, right? And if your website doesn't show what they're interested in, in a compelling way, um, it doesn't mean you won't get the sale. Maybe then they'll go to your showroom. Maybe they'll go to the manufacturer and then come back to you. But I think you have to admit, it's not making the transaction easy. And in this world, the way it's going, we gotta make it easy. So if you can get them to go to your environment from that and then transact from there as easy as possible, uh, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, it's very important for all showrooms to work with the design community. And I can tell you our, our, as a rep organization, we have a full-time person, that's all she does. Um, working and reaching out to these people and then introducing them to the uh, showrooms that want to work with them. And you'd be amazed at how many showrooms don't want to work with them, uh, push away the business, uh, don't know how to handle it. I think a lot of showroom owners need to take a look at their staff and do some training other than product knowledge training, but training on how to handle the design community, how to work with them, what do they want to hear, how to talk their language, uh, and also uh, just how to do follow-up too. These are all important things. Uh, the, the bottom line is that homeowners are a lot better off buying from brick and mortar showrooms with all the value added services that are included in the price. They're very bad at letting the homeowner know about that little point. So I, I would encourage all showrooms to really take a hard look at their staff, 
have meetings with their staff, get everybody into some kind of uh, procedures that they can all do the same. Uh, for example, uh, you know, if, if, if you sell 12 faucet lines, well, you know, which is the faucet line that you would prefer your people to lead with? Well, maybe, you know, maybe that would be more important for them to hear that from management rather than a manufacturer who offers a spiff or something like that, and they go that direction. So uh, you want to align the interests of uh, management and, and sales staff. So there's a lot of uh, related issues, but I, uh, bottom line to me is that, is that this pandemic has really forced all of us to get our act together. And we need Absolutely. to, and we need to do that. Well, we the have, trade is a very important part. I'm sorry. No, we just have so many things going on in the chat and the Q and A. I just want to try to get to everybody. But okay. John, go ahead and say what. Well, the trade is very important, but the key to our showrooms is education. And if you can touch and feel the product, I have the designers are here daily, coming in here more and more. A new person every day is coming in here because we have a showroom. Okay, we have a show where you can touch and feel and see the quality. You can get an education on the brands on what's better. They email me all the time and take the little pictures off build.com or whatever. And they send me, you know, can you get this kind of stuff? Is this good quality or what am I dealing with? So the education from us is why they deal with us. The, the, the knowledge and the touch and feel. And they're not going to get that online. So that's That was one of the key chat topics that I was going to bring up. And actually, John Weinstein gives you props, John. I, I just um, saw that one. <laughs> yeah, so you, you got that one for me. That's great. Um, one of our manufacturing partners saying, since COVID, many of our showrooms have upped their game online and they're getting a lot of requests for more and better imagery. Manufacturers can and should make it easy to beef up their online presence um, through our dealer channels. And I, I, as a you know former dealer, I totally agree with that. Um, that's a great point, Kim, thank you. Um, and also saying that the design community is wholeheartedly using our channel's um, online presence to research and plan their product selections before placing orders through the showrooms. Um, and I think that that's, that's true. You know, when we had, and someone here mentioned earlier that when we had internet part one and Molly Switzer was, was on, she's a designer. She was saying that she likes using the manufacturer's websites because there's so much information on there, but then she always goes back to the showroom. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that it is really important to get that imagery and, and, you know, if, if a dealer can have their website be as robust as the manufacturer's websites, I think that the design community would certainly be happy with that. Um, okay, let me get to questions here. All right. Oh, so many. Um, why wouldn't the interior designer use their local showroom or better yet, attend a PK? Um, so the... Dick, I'm just going to answer that question um, for you, if that's okay, guys, and then please pipe in. But from the designer panels that we've had, the general consensus is that the showrooms are so busy that the designers feel like if they go directly to a rep or directly to the manufacturer or find the information themselves, the turnaround is going to be a lot faster. And I, that was, you know, that was said since the very since the first designer panel we had in May, um, and I think it's even more true now. I mean, we for this 
for this webinar, we sent a personal plea to all of the uh, primary contacts for our DPHA dealer members saying, please, we want you to be on this call. It's so important to you. We understand you're busy, but please, this is important. And we got several emails back saying, we want, we want to participate. We love your webinars. We watch them after the fact, but we're just too busy during the week to do this. So um, I think that it kind of, it's a good problem to have, but I think that that's from, from our dealer, from our designer panels, I can say that that's their experience. Um, would anyone like to add anything to that? I think we all have to uh, work on our business as well as work in our business. Mm -hmm. I think that's an awesome point. You know, in other, uh, in other markets, and now, uh, and, and many of the people on the call today, or at least some of them, are members of a buying group that might be more plumbing or heating oriented. They might belong to um, Omni or, or um, Blue Hawk or AD. And, but the point of all that is those buying groups have put together a content offerings, like a kind of unified uh, one-stop shop where there's a content offering that the dealers can take advantage of. So it's food for thought. Um, and, and Noah can speak a little bit to this. He's working on that thing called a PIM uh, for his own product lines. And uh, that's a bit of work, uh, but that, that might be a boon to some of the showrooms if we could uh, get to a situation where there, there is a, uh, a place to go for some of this content where it's sort of always in the same formats. Um, I know, I just want to say, I know that it's too... Uh, three o'clock Eastern now. We're just gonna keep going if y'all don't mind. If anyone has to jump off, the recording will be on the website, but I think we're on a roll and I have so many more questions that I wanna get to on here. Um, so panelists, if you don't mind sticking around for a little bit longer, mind if we keep going? Uh, you're fine because you ate lunch. Awesome, <laughs> perfect, there we go. So an anonymous attendee, that always tricks me up, has a very good point here. Um, as a manufacturer, we send out weekly newsletter emails with new products, marketing assets, and promotions. They unfortunately largely go ignored or not read, which Rebecca is probably laughing right now because we have had this discussion about the struggles with that as well. Um, on the other hand, we have several uh, this person says, we have several rep agencies that do a wonderful job with sending out relevant information to the design and architect community. So, um, Dan, I know you guys are great at that. Um, Jerry was always right on. So I think that, you know, what do you guys think is the key, especially Dan, what do you think is the key to that? Why it's more successful with the rep agencies? Well, not every homeowner is basing their buying decision on price alone. Obviously, many are, and price is very important, but a lot of them want service, and a lot of them are working with designers. I mean, if, if you've never remodeled the bathroom, how do you start? What's, what's point number one, and how do you get to point number two? So a lot of them hire a, a designer, and, and quite frankly, if they have a nice house, it's a much more appropriate way to go versus making price the only buying factor and go online and buy a lot of stuff. I mean, a week doesn't go by that I don't hear, I get a phone call with some craziness. They went online, they, they bought somebody, for example, a vanity and a top that was drilled for three holes and then they ordered a single hole faucet. Well, you know, guess what? You messed up. That's what experience, that's an easy one, but that's what experience brings to you when you go to a real brick and mortar showroom. 
So I just think that uh, we're never going to get rid of the internet, obviously. But I do think that showrooms do need to have a good website to direct traffic into their showroom, kind of like replace the yellow pages on steroids and, and get people to get into their showroom. And then I think they need to have meetings with their people and have procedures uh, to basically have everybody do things the same way. You know, uh, one of the things we used to do at our showroom is walk people when they were done and they were leaving, we would walk them out and we would say, can I, can I give you my 30 second sales pitch? And they would laugh and think that was kind of silly, but we had a 30 second sales pitch that we all used and we pointed them to our 10 reasons to buy from us poster on the wall. And we told them, I just want you to know that you get all 10 of these services with the price. You know, for example, one of the 10 was we pledged to return your phone call by the end of the business day. Now, if That's a good you one. Know, you're not going to get that from an Internet company, obviously. And quite frankly, uh, you know, you'll be lucky if they call you back in a week. So if that's not important to you, then you know what? I can match that price if I can eliminate some of those services, which was another benefit of that, uh, communicating that. Because when people would come back on a Saturday, you know, the, typically the, the lady of the house was picking out the stuff and then she'd drag her husband in on a Saturday. And, you know, he had to uh, show everybody how to get a good deal and he would start throwing stuff around about how, you know, our prices were too high. And we brought them over there and said, okay, we can match the price that you're showing me from somebody else. Tell me which of those services you don't need. And I'll match the price because I know that competitor is not giving you those services. So apples to apples. But I just That's think great. we need to do a better job as an industry. Well, it's funny that what you're talking about, um, Ben Aliker comments and says, today's professional customers and homeowners want the showroom added value um, or, or, or added service up front before they buy, and then they take the value add out of the showroom without paying for it. Um, then they get a price to compare showroom versus Amazon or Build or any of the other sites. Um, and then we get questioned on price fairness. So the real challenge, and Dan, this is, goes totally on what you were saying, is to keep the value add relevant rather than let it walk out the door. If, for example, and I think this is a really interesting point, if, for example, a vendor policy is that warranties are voided when the, pro, uh, when the product is purchased online, it helps keep the value add within the showroom. Now, I know that that's, if you're selling online and you're, that's a, a model of your business, that may not be possible, but maybe it's a different warranty or for when you purchase online versus in a showroom, maybe it's a different level of service, a different level of installation help or something. Um, but there are manufacturers that will not honor a warranty unless it's purchased through one of their authorized dealers. And so that should be pointed out. And the bottom line is make people nervous to buy it elsewhere, make them nervous to make price the only buying factor. Yeah, I think that, I think that straight, uh, it's great points. I think the strength of the brick and mortar and the advantage that we have over the larger uh, the the e-commerce sites in this digital world is the tactile. It, it it's being able to touch the product. And I know we as a manufacturer we push people mm -hmm. at every chance. We want them to go into our select dealer showrooms, and we want to do it obviously for selfish reasons. We want to sell. But we also, we, we, we know you're going to get an enhanced sale. The consumer or the designer is going to get a better experience. They're going to get the expertise to buy it correctly. All the value-added stuff that's happening. But the piece that's still missing, which is why I think this, this whole conversation is so good, 
is the virtual side of it. So we're talking about doing newsletters and Instagram and, and driving traffic. We get at, at, at our company, California Plus, we get, and we're seeing an increasing, we're getting emails, phone calls, uh, personal emails, general emails from people saying, look, you know, I'm nervous about going into a showroom or I just want to, how, how can I, how, where can I buy the product? And so in a typical world, uh, in a previous world, that was a very easy, straightforward conversation. Here's the name of the brick and mortar showrooms you can go to. And these, you know, if they're in your area, go see them, that they're experts. I, I urge you, we still urge that. But increasingly, some people don't want to go into the showroom and they're going to get off the phone and they're going to want to know where can they go online to buy the product. We want to drive them and we only sell, we only sell to, to online, uh, any online dealer that has our product has a brick and mortar showroom. But if we drive them at that point and it's all an email, you know, it's a designer sitting there uh, e uh, emailing us and they're going, I, you know, who, who, where, where can I go? And they go to, brick and mortar showroom with a, a, a substandard website, they're, they're, they're hurting the sale. And then, and then we have to ask ourselves as a manufacturer, where do we want to drive? We don't want to lose the sale. Where are we going to drive that business? I don't, I'm not going to drive it to e-commerce only. So I, I, I'm beseeching any, any brick and mortar showroom from the- No, I, I mean, I'd like to respond to that. What's that? I'd like to respond to what you're saying because, you know, I'm one that doesn't have the website because I'm fairly new back in the business, so I don't have a current site. But there aren't, and I mean, I do, I've, I just did a huge home out of state that I worked with from the ground up. Everything was done, conversations on the phone, sending links by email or text. I mean, we're, we're current with communication, whether it be across the country or, or right down the road. If they don't want to come into the showroom, we can still help them without having a site. You know, we can go on there and say, hey, look at this. And we send a link right to their text right. or right to their email of exactly what they're looking for. And we explain the same thing we would do in the showroom. Sure. And I can do all that over the phone just as easy as sitting in my showroom. Sure. But is it as optimal as you, if you could, if you could imagine uh, a, a wand, are you, are you, John, in a better position to have a great showroom and a substandard web or non-existent website or having your showroom and have a great website so you can work both the physical and the virtual world? Well, I've spent, I've, in my past life, I've worked at another location, spent a lot of money on websites. I mean, I've, the investment to build a, a decent website is, is a lot for anybody, okay? I, right now, showroom displays are very important for me and other things that I've put a lot of my emphasis in. I'll I tell you what, I have got more customers that are excited about not buying from build.com, not buying from Wayfair and all these other places. They've got a place now that they can buy their stuff. And the builders physically go out and they tell the customers when they call and complain about my prices being higher, they tell them, I said, this guy goes out to the job site. He does a takeoff. He makes a list of everything that is out there. He comes back, gives us a price 
gets the product in, keys There's it, brings it the job site. Yeah. And, and, and they warranty all the products. They come out and tweak it when our installers don't know how to put it in right, which they don't say that. But, you know, we, we fix all the problems of the builder and everything. So that builder, if you do that work for him and, and you're good about servicing, is going to stand behind that, I mean, huge difference in price that some products are online. So to us, the local business that we get is all driven because we are service, have the showroom, we do all these different things that the internet can't do. We're stealing business from the internet daily, but sure. it's the education that we have to give those builders that's important, and it takes a lot of time, but we're doing a good job with it. John, for what it's worth, uh, just a uh, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I, I agree with you about the cost of putting together a, a website from scratch. It's it's extremely expensive and time consuming. But um, a Adam, you know, maybe maybe you can speak to this. It's a little self serving for you, but but Adam, as well as there are several other companies out there, and for very affordable, are able to to help uh, a manufacturer that isn't going to spend that kind of money to be able to get up a, a decent looking site that has all the bells and whistles that you need to do this without the cost that you had in your former life. Um, it's the prices have come down and they have templates. And I don't know, maybe Adam, you you know more about it. Technology is evolving. And uh, um, there, there's what we're doing, which is kind of packaging a, a system that connects to our ERP connects to product content and, and to the web store. So we package that together to be not incredibly expensive, you know, tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands. Um, and, and there are places to do it for even less money. Um, you may have all heard of Shopify.com. Uh, that, that is a very inexpensive way to get started. It's, it's, it's a very good product. It's hard to connect that to an ERP, granted. Um, but it's a it's a way to get started and it doesn't there's cost a company you. I believe they're active in DPHA Bravo Bravo business Bravo does it there's a company out there called RWS and I don't think there's a lot of Kim maybe you know more there's not a lot of upfront cost it's mostly just a monthly monthly fee right it's the upfront cost to build out the website and then the rest is a monthly cost yeah um, I appreciate all of that I've got. We still have so many questions. I'm going to take only three more. They're already here. So I'm going to go off of the three that we have. Um, one, and I think this is very interesting. What does the panel think about the trend where brands are selling direct to consumers online? Kohler is selling at 25% off direct to the consumer prior to promos, um, as an example. Uh, do you think more manufacturers will follow suit? And how does that impact the industry? in the midterm. Not a good trend. If you own a brick and mortar showroom, I would think. <laughs> it's not a good trend. I think that, you know, that may evidence some impatience with their brick and mortar showrooms progress on being able to accept an online order. So maybe they're saying, well, we'd rather do it ourselves at a price that is not insane then give it away to Amazon. You know, uh, years ago when I, uh, in a previous life, when I had my showroom in the 80s, um, there weren't a lot of available brands back then. And uh, the ones that we had were 
you know, they were not really available in a lot of venues like this. And then all of a sudden, they started putting their toe in the water. People who are north of, say, 50 or 55, and I remember this, and, and they started making products available, a little bit of just a few products, and there was no pushback. There was no penalty from the industry. The brick-and-mortar showrooms continued to sell them and say, basically, I think had a blind, turned a blind eye to it. So, um, and, and I know there are uh, manufacturers now that are uh, selling online and then offering a commission to the showroom if they make the sale, although I've yet to find a showroom that has gotten any of those commissions. Um, but to me, you know, it just begs the question, uh, you know, are, are these, are these uh, manufacturers your manufacturer or are they your competitor? And you might take a good hard look at what brands you're putting out there representing your business. Absolutely. Um, hopefully that kind of answers that question. I think that's good feedback. Um, the next question um, is for Noah. Noah, so if a dealer doesn't have an e-commerce site, but they're one of your showrooms, one of your dealers, you are going to recommend them? Absolutely. Absolutely. One, we go to the brick and mortar. We would love them to have a nice, robust website, and they don't have to have a shopping cart. I mean, that you're not going to compete with Amazon, but to me, want to be able to drive them to your website if they want. We want them to go to your brick and mortar, but if they choose, let's say they just don't want to get in the car and go to your showroom. That that is not a that is not a uh, in this day and age. That's not an uncommon feeling. And it's only going to increase demographically. We want to be able to send them to your website and they can find our product. They can find a ancillary product that they need. They can call you on the phone or if there's a chat feature, but at least call you up, be able to navigate it and then be able to transact it if it's a credit card. And by the way, if you have that and capture that sale, Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to convince the person to come down to the showroom, which is a better experience. So, yeah, we want to drive it. But, but, it, but it's getting increasingly hard, uh, our view. It's not, you know, it's, this happens over time. Our view is over time. I think we as an industry, I would argue, have to look at a showroom no longer as a brick-and-mortar showroom. It's a brick-and-mortar showroom. That's the priority. But you can't have a great showroom if you don't have it minimally a virtual showroom that allows yourself and the manufacturer to capture what is the biggest growing segment of the market right now, which is internet sales. Have to have it. That's where it's all headed. Thank you. That was pretty well said. And I'm going to give a segue, but then I'm going to go back to another question, to our last question, but I just have to say this. Um, our next and... Um, and final webinar before we take a little break for our conference is going to be about virtual showrooms. So um, I have two showrooms that are two showroom two dealer members that are going to be joining us, um, looking for for a third maybe that has an e-commerce site um, to join us as well. And we're going to talk about from a dealer standpoint how they've transformed their sites, what they're doing with it, and how they use it. That, because of scheduling conflict, is going to be on a Thursday, October 1st. Um, so you'll be getting emails about that one. 
Uh, but that was just such a good segue there. I couldn't, I couldn't miss that opportunity. Um, so the last question here, and this is a good one, and I'm going to start with John on this one. What is your experience with returns? Since most online sellers like Amazon take back anything and everything in most cases, have the expectations of consumers changed in this regard when dealing with brick and mortar showrooms? It's mixed. We kind of got to play that softly. Um, in most cases, we try to be, if it was a good customer and they're really good to work with, you know, if a lot of them don't even ask for money back on the little stuff that comes back off of jobs anyway. So we get, we get boxes of stuff back to the builder sometimes of odds and ends and parts. And so that can offset sometimes a restocking fee here or there that we have to do on something as well. So, you know, we end up paying restocking fees back to our manufacturers and quite often we can't even take it back period because it's been installed or, whatever and then they figure out it's the wrong thing or whatever that they didn't want it so you know we we have to do a little bit more sometimes but it's not as much that as it is the home centers and everything you know those are the guys that are driving the freebies uh you can take anything back to a lot of companies and not have to pay anything so it's kind of like the rule of thumb in walmart or wherever you're gonna go <laughs> and so people are thinking that but we always tell people we have a restocking fee but you know we'll do what we can what about what about taking back products with damaged boxes? Um, I know when I was working at, at the store in New York City, we had a lot of people that would try to return things with like ripped boxes and they'd be like, well, you can just rebox it, can't you? And would say, no, like I can't take it back. I can't rebox it. And so do you see that? Yeah, the job sites, when a product comes back from a job site, it looks like it's got sheetrock dust and dirt all over it. And, and, you know, quite honest with you, my salesman's an old school Sharpie guy, and he writes the job all over everything. He writes the doors that they go on. He writes. So, you, so you'll take back yeah. a product that has a damaged box. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as I say, it's kind of like. In, in most cases, when we have sold the product to the job, it's not our problem. It's not our fault for the return. And the customers understand a lot of that, and the builders do. And we don't have a lot of problems with it. We do take certain things back just because we have good relationships with the builders. But they understand. And we, we haven't had a lot of problems with returns at this point in time. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, thank you guys so much. This is great. We went an extra 20 minutes and only one person has left. So that was amazing. <laughs> thank you. I do want to say we are going to continue this conversation, not on a Wednesday webinar, but as a part of DPHA Connect 2020, which is DPHA's virtual conference this year, since we can't meet in person, we have our virtual conference going on October 22nd and 23rd. We are doing member roundtables. Um, when you register for the conference, you can also register for the Zoom member roundtables. You can choose whether you want to meet with other people in your segment. So if you're a rep, you want to meet with other non-competing reps or whether you want an inter-segmented uh, 
table with reps, dealers, manufacturers, and professional members. Um, and I think that the internet is going to be a hot topic at these member roundtables. So I urge you to join us for DPHA Connect. Um, you can find information on our website, dpha.net. And then um, please sign up for the member roundtables, which will be that Thursday, October 22nd. Um, again, this was recorded. I will be posting it later this week on the members only side of the website. Um, if you are not a DPHA member and you would like to be, please contact me, Kimberly at dpha.net. That's Kimberly, K-Y-M-B-E-R-L-Y at dpha.net. And thank you guys so much for a wonderful, wonderful webinar. This was great. Again, we didn't get to like two thirds of the questions on my list, but I think it was a phenomenal, phenomenal webinar. And I really appreciate everybody's participation. So thank you panelists and thank you attendees. And I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank if you would like to present in the future or inquire about membership or sponsorship, please visit dpha.net today.